0: Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast, brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts and much more. My name is Amanda Carlson and I am the Communications Manager with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with Sarah Anderson, who is the Agronomy Manager with SPG. We are going to discuss the on farm agronomic outlook for pulses and what growers need to know as they prep for the 2022 seeding season. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Amanda. At our winter meeting series this year, you have highlighted the importance of seed quality and starter fertility decisions. What should growers consider?
1: Yeah, that's a a big topic, but I guess if I could put it into two buckets, um, starting with with seed quality, I think seed obviously the foundation for all of our crops so we want to make sure that in any season seed quality is is top notch it's it should usually be sort of one of the first things we're thinking about heading into the spring season the particular challenge this year for Paul's crops and it seems like peas have kind of been hit the worst is that low seed moisture coupled with hot and dry conditions during harvest led to higher levels of mechanical damage on the seed so even though we're not seeing really high pathogen loads on the seed, seed quality might be compromised with lower than expected germination and vigor. So always really important for growers to test uh, their individual seed lots. You know, some of the issues might be overcome with seeding rate, but in some cases a, a new seed source might need to be obtained. And, and obviously with seeding right around the corner, we need to understand stand that now. Um, so hopefully seeds have, have been tested going into this growing season definitely just better to know uh, what's, what you're facing with your seedlot before it goes through the drill than when it comes out of the ground. Earlier this year, we actually sat down with Discovery Seed Labs uh, on a podcast to discuss seed quality and seed testing and pulses. So, would certainly direct you towards those, those resources for a little bit more information and, uh, and a deeper dive there. Um, the second kind of fertility bucket is you know, high, high nitrogen soils. So I think uh, a big question on growers' minds and and agronomists' minds this year is just how much residual N is too much for pulses. And, you know, this is a little bit of a a more gray area, but uh, I, I think the takeaway or the optimistic takeaway is that our pulses do use a lot of nitrogen they're, they're big end users so we shouldn't necessarily be kind of scared away uh by high background soil nitrogen agronomically our our preference is to see pulses on you know low residual nitrogen ground so that we can take advantage of their ability to fix atmospheric N. but it's not necessarily you know if we have have high background N, it's not that we should avoid pulses on there altogether the N fixation might be reduced uh, when those pulses are opportunistically pulling their nitrogen from the soil, but they'll still use that, that soil residual nitrogen. There has been previous research in lentil, for example, uh, that's found that seeding into soils, testing higher in nitrogen, didn't really negatively impact yield or even maturity of lentils. Uh, So that's a good good news story. Environment is gonna interact with the the soil nitrogen levels to a certain extent. So what we're facing next year is a little bit uncertain, but I don't think it's necessarily an all around bad situation, uh, the high-end soils from a pulse perspective. The watch out, of course, is that uh, in those high end situations, there could be a little bit of extra biomass produced, especially under those lush uh, growing conditions. So we really want to keep out an eye on canopy closure, particularly as we're planning fungicide timing. Thanks, Sarah.
0: I think another topic that growers are going to be thinking about this season is weed management. What should growers be planning for this year, especially at the start of seeding?
1: Yeah, so I think I would be remiss if if we didn't sort of touch briefly on herbicide carryover, uh, a topic that growers are, are probably quite familiar with after this season. But as yeah, we head into the seeding season, it's a little bit of kind of a last call uh, for producers to double check their herbicide application records and environmental records from last year. So really looking for scenarios where expected herbicide residues might not have broken down because of poor environmental conditions, so not enough rainfall or or too hot and dry of conditions for optimal microbial degradation to occur. Or even just uh, herbicide use that we know often persists too long or have sensitivities to pulses the next year. So really want to do a good fact check on, on individual herbicide application records. And then the other sort of uh, watch out in the herbicide carryover category is uh, is in-crop applications of imidazoline herbicides on last year's pulse crops. So not only what we may have sprayed ahead of our pulses uh, for this upcoming season, but also what was sprayed last season in our pulses. Those can cause injury to rotational uh, cereal and oilseed crops. So we really have to think about herbicide carryover sort of from all all sides uh, and all perspectives. I think that uh, because our pulse crops do have a certain level of immune tolerance, they may be a, a crop that we're thinking of as pretty safe to plant back into those immune herbicide residues. And I, I think the big thing to think about heading into this season is that we need to manage those crops conventionally in 2022 so that we don't further compound the risk of additional ME carryover. I guess the other sort of um, overarching things that, that I think are important anytime that we're talking about weed management um, are just ways that that we can optimize our, our weed control. So I like to, to put this into sort of three big buckets, uh, the three W's of, of weed management or, or weed control. So the first being weather. For optimal weed control, weeds need to be sprayed when they're actively growing. So in our pre-burn applications, the question often becomes, is it, is it too cold? Uh, When temperatures fall below freezing, those weeds do need a chance to recover if they've had a a touch of frost. And we also need there to be sort of more than about 60% green tissue is usually the rule of thumb for herbicide applications to be effective, for there to be enough green material for those weeds to take in the herbicide. So if it's a light frost scenario, you can usually spray the next day. But we really need to make sure that daytime temperatures are above eight degrees for at least two hours uh, when that spraying resumes. If it happens to be a harder or longer frost, you may need to wait uh, up to a couple days before resuming spraying. And again, as long as the daytime temperatures are above eight degrees for two hours. As we move into the in-crop stages, it's usually a question of if temperatures are too warm uh, when we have to think about shutting down the, the sprayer. But Last season, I think, was a pretty good example of scenarios when cold temperatures and frost during in-crop had a little bit of an impact on our on our pulse acres and maybe interrupted uh, typical spraying activity. So in this case, we also need to give the weeds a chance to recover because there was a, a cold event, but also really important that our crops need to be actively growing to be able to metabolize the herbicide and prevent injury. The second W for growers to keep in mind uh, is is window. And so here I'm referring to targeting the right window of control so weeds aren't too big. Um, As our weeds grow, they become sort of increasingly challenging to control. And then this also refers to the right window of application so that we avoid crop injury as much as possible. And then so we're also mindful of the pulse crops critical uh, weed-free period. So when I use the term critical uh, weed-free period, just referring to the growth stages in the crop that uh, must be kept weed-free to prevent significant yield loss. And then the third W is is arguably the, the biggest one, um, quite simply water. So uh, water in a lot of cases is really the most important part of the tank mix. Not only do we want to ensure that it's uh, good quality, so kind of keeping in mind hardness and potential antagonism um, from those water quality issues. But we also want to ensure that we're using enough of it, so uh, specifically water volumes. Now, I fully recognize that water volumes uh, on the higher end of the range mean less acres uh, per fill for growers. You know, sometimes that can can come at a little bit of a reduced efficiency, but often bumping up our water volumes can be a really inexpensive way for us to gain better coverage and improve efficacy of those passes. So even if it's taking us a little bit more time to cover those acres, hopefully we're, we're getting a little bit better control as we go through them. Increased water volumes are particularly important for contact herbicides, but they can also be beneficial even with systemic actives such as glyphosate. Speaking of glyphosate, there may be growers wondering if they can ditch it all together this season. Given current prices and, and supply issues, uh, the glyphosate decision has been a little bit more, more challenging in the, going into the 2022 season. But I think we want to caution to not be so hasty with that decision, keeping in mind that uh, the addition of the Group 9 glyphosate is an important factor uh, to retaining multiple modes of action in that tank mix. And there's also a few other things to consider. So... In many cases, the products that we're applying precede ahead of our our pulses. Glyphosate is a core component on the label. So we also want to check to understand if there is a base amount of glyphosate that's required to cover the weed spectrums listed on that product label. For most of our pre-burn herbicides ahead of pulses, in a lot of cases, the weed spectrum that is covered is also with that glyphosate component included. So in in a lot of instances, a base amount is typically required uh, as part of that application. There are a few exceptions to this um, where the product may be sprayed alone. Uh, Again, we wanna make sure that they're sprayed in tandem with another multi-mode of action. But in absence of of including the glyphosate and opting for different modes of action in that tank mix, we maybe need to look again closely at the label and understand if a surfactant is needed when glyphosate isn't being added to the tank. Uh, So just pay close attention to those labels and understand what what parameters you may be looking at if you're gonna tweak um, typical tank mixes on your pre-seed applications this year. I think another thing to consider as we're making those glyphosate decisions is what is the weed spectrum. So if you're relying on your glyphosate to be doing, you know, the heavy lifting on your weed spectrum, it certainly doesn't make sense um, to deviate too far from the decision of including glyphosate and potentially maybe an alternate path to go than eliminating glyphosate entirely is just consider if you're able to apply at the lower end of of the spectrum of the labeled rate. You know, these decisions are probably not gonna be a one size fits all. Uh, They may differ obviously across farms, but even across fields. So uh, feel free to to tailor those recommendations to what is best suited to your weed spectrum and your timing and and stages uh, on your own uh, individual field operation. And then, yeah, finally, if there are going to be tweaks from the normal standard, uh, potentially maybe reducing the the labeled rate of glyphosate, um, it's crucial that the rest of the tank mix and application is in top-notch shape. So really go through that checklist and understand if the water quality is where it needs to be so there's no antagonism issues. Are the active ingredients that you're applying, is there more than one uh, family uh, group of herbicides that's that's being applied? Are they going to cover the weed spectrum that you want them to? Is your application speed, nozzle selection, and water volume appropriate for the application? And
0: is the timing of your weed control the
1: absolute best it can be?
0: That's some really good advice, Sarah. In terms of pulses, disease management is always at the forefront. What are some key disease concerns growers should keep in mind heading into the season? Yeah, there's. Two sort of big
1: disease considerations uh, that I think we could put on growers' radar heading into this season, those being aphanomyces and anthracnose and lentil. So I, I think the first point to make is that just because it was a dry year last year doesn't mean that aphanomyces disappeared. Those ooze are very hardy and very long-lived, so infested fields probably didn't really see a significant reduction in spore load in response to last year's drought. So because of some of the herbicide and high end carryover that we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, I think it's probably fair to say that our typical rotations might get a little bit of a shakeup this year. But before growers commit to intensifying uh, pulse rotations, it's really important to think about the aphanomyces risk at the at the field level, kind of try and weigh all of those rotational considerations uh, in, in the short term going into next year, but also the long term productivity of the farm and sustainability of the pulse acre. So SPG's website does have some really great resources that walk through different risk assessment criteria, um, such as the environmental conditions last time the field was in peas or lentil, uh, intensity of previous symptoms, frequency of pea and lentil in rotation, and uh, other soil considerations. And then more recently, uh, this specific uh, risk assessment has been advanced to a digital tool known as the Phanomyces Risk Evaluation App, or Cleverly Area. And this tool is, is in development by Dr. Steve Shirtliff and his team at the University of Saskatchewan and hopes to use geospatial layers of field crop history, soil, topography and environmental conditions to help growers assess their Phanomyces risk at a field level. So yeah, hopefully stay tuned for a little bit more information on, on those types of tools coming your way. And then the other sort of big disease consideration uh, to, to sort of start talking about, even though it's definitely a, a little bit um, later later in the season, is strobilarian fungicide insensitivity. So that has been confirmed in anthracnose of lentil in Saskatchewan. Recent work from Dr. Michelle Hubbard with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and her team there really has found that it's actually quite widespread across the province. So we need to keep it at the forefront and and sort of treat all of our anthracnose management as if there's populations of insensitive isolates within it. And because there's cross-resistance among all strobolarin, and so just to be clear, the the strobolarin uh, group of fungicides is the group 11 fungicides, the most important recommendation to take away today is just... Don't use a standalone stroby, really, ever. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what uh, brand name is on the box. Uh, if it's a group 11 with, with no partner that has uh, efficacy on anthracnose, um, we really want to be looking to a different fungicide tool in that case. So again, SBG has several resources on fungicide and sensitivity and anthracnose in lentil and would certainly point the audience toward those resources for additional information. Dr. Hubbard's presentation also provides a little bit of a deeper dive and that can be found on our website as well.
0: Before we let you go, is there any other guidance you want to provide as growers prepare for seeding this spring?
1: Yeah, there's probably lots more we could cover agronomically, but I I think I would just remind growers that when in doubt to check it out. There's lots of great resources available for agronomic support throughout the industry. And I think it's really important to rely on technical expertise and and kind of local boots on the ground in your region to help out where it's needed. A lot of these decisions aren't black and white. And, you know, we want to want to help you make decisions that are appropriate for your individual farm. And of course, uh, I just want to wish everyone a really safe uh, seeding season. So thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Sarah. That wraps up our discussion today. I want to give a big thank you to Sarah for joining us. And thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. If you are looking for more information on the agronomic outlook for this year, you can find additional presentations on our website at saspulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with SPG, you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on global markets, new technologies and trends in Pulse production. Thank you for tuning in to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast.